1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Some look at this passage and say, well, that means women can't teach at all. But that's not what the passages are saying here. It's not what 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15 says. Because you have this Titus 2 passage that we just talked about. They're to teach the younger women. They're teaching. In fact, the Bible makes the case from Old Testament to New about women being involved in ministry and teaching both inside the church and outside the church. I can
0: see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry, the answer for all my life. Every dragon will fall. The mountains will move every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh,
1: Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. With Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: I remember the birth of my first daughter. Shortly after 4.08 a.m. in the morning, I held that baby in my hands. And from that moment on, I knew, I knew that I knew that I would move heaven and earth to provide for her and my wife, Terry, to protect them and to shepherd them. And then along came my second daughter. That was a little bit of a different scenario. I remember the day the doctor told us that we were having a boy, Dr. Han, And we were surprised and we were pleased and it was, it was all good. And as time went on and the day drew near, one day Dr. Han came to me and he, and he said, I have something to tell you. And at first, I was a little nervous. He said, I'm afraid you're going to have a girl. Well, we had already picked out boys' names, and we were all locked and loaded and ready to go for a boy. But then I, I looked at him, and I could see that he was concerned, maybe a little disappointed. I don't know. In his culture, I think they valued boys more than girls. And I said, Dr. Hahn, no worries. I'm all trained on changing girl diapers. We have a ton, a ton of hand-me-downs, and it's all good. And then I thought to myself, why wouldn't I want a girl? That was God's best for me. Why would I choose to see the glasses half empty rather than all full? Which brings us to our text today 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20, all the way through chapter 2, and into and as far as chapter 3, verse 15. And I'd like to read that for you now to set up our talk today. Our message is entitled, Church Unlike the World. It's part three in a mini-series of Church Matters. It's about corporate worship, and it's about making a countercultural statement for the glory of God and the good of others and our own growth. So let's read together 1 Timothy, beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll read this big block of scripture so that we can have the context for our whole discussion. Verse 18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Chapter 2, verse 1, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made for all men. For kings... And all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil life and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want men in every place to lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, But rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must receive, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Some translations say self-control. Chapter 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and Able to teach. Verse 12. Deacons likewise must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Verse 14. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Today we will be digging into one of the most controversial and some would say complex passages in the New Testament. And what we want to do today is to have a very serious conversation about what this says about church matters. Because too many today approach it unseriously and they, they seek ways to ignore it, to downplay it, to demean it and to just go around it. But you can't because this is the word of God. I was at a pastor's conference in Las Vegas about two years ago and someone handling this topic did so in such a cavalier way, he greatly, greatly, I would say, offended the God who wrote this text because he did not handle, handle it as carefully as he should. That's what we want to do today, to handle it carefully. To do that, we're going to take three steps. We're going to ask ourselves, what do these words say? We're going to ask ourselves, what do these words mean? And we're going to ask ourselves, so what do we do? You see, exegesis is our goal. What's that? Our goal is to read from the text rather than read our preferences or our prejudices into the text. Because church matters matter to God and so they must, must matter to us. This passage has been increasingly challenged in terms of its Pauline authorship, in terms of its inspiration, in terms of its applicability to the 21st century, because in the 20th century, this passage was more and more out of step with the culture, more and more out of step with the world. But ours is to be a church unlike the world, a church unlike the culture. So what I want to do is to zero in on 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, these difficult verses. I want to read it again so that we can dig into it and hopefully apply it. Verse 11 A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved, kept, some translations say, through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint or self-control. Wow, when you read that, this goes against the grain of our culture. This goes against the grain of our time. This passage goes against the grain of everything this world stands for today, doesn't it? But what are the words saying? And what do these words mean? Well, let's start with our first point in this message about what the passage is not saying. What this passage is not saying. There are a number, a great deal really, of misperceptions about what this passage is saying, about what the thrust and the idea is. But let me tell you, what this passage is not saying is that women are somehow inferior to men. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that either. We see in Genesis, in the book of beginnings, from the very beginning to the end of Scripture, that the Bible values women. The value it places is high. We read in Genesis one twenty seven this. So God created man in his own image in the likeness of God he created him Male and female, he created them. That is repeated again and again. It's repeated in in Genesis 5-2, and it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Women are in no way inferior to men. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's not what the Bible teaches. Men and women are created both in in the same, in the image and likeness of God. They have the same nature and essence. In Galatians 3.28, we see this reaffirmed by the Apostle Paul. Galatians is about all the confusion that these Judaizers brought into the churches at Galatia where they taught you had to be a Jew, you had to become a Jew to become or to remain saved. You had to keep the law of Moses and have faith in Christ. And this passage in in Galatians 3.28, indeed all of chapter 3, argues against that. I want you to listen to what it says here because it talks about the value of women. Galatians 3:27 through 29 for our purposes. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What is that teaching us? That men and women are equally precious in the sight of God for salvation. That there is no superiority by ethnicity. You know, if you were a Jew, you didn't have a leg up on the Gentile. If you were free, you didn't have a leg up on the slave. And if you were male, you didn't have a leg up on the female. You were all one in Christ. You were all Abraham's children through faith in Christ. And you know, the interesting thing about this is Some people try to play this passage against our passage in 1 Timothy 2 and they act like Galatians 3 contradicts or or renders obsolete 1 Timothy 2.12 but Paul wrote Galatians before he wrote 1 Timothy and if one cancel out the other well that would be 1 Timothy canceling out Galatians but we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself We understand that there's no cancelization here. These passages complement one another. And I guess what I'm trying to say is this. In God's eyes, in the Bible's eyes, in Paul's eyes, in the eyes of the Holy Spirit who spoke through the pen of Paul, women are equally valuable. They're of the same nature and essence to men. The Bible does not take the view that the Quran does or some of the other world religions do. that women are somehow inferior, in fact, in proverbs thirty one fifteen in the Old Testament, we see the wisdom, the uh, business acumen of the proverbs thirty one woman What does it say? It says she considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. This woman was an entrepreneur, she was wise, she was a shrewd business person, in no way shape or form does the Bible demean women. This woman was no dummy. She wasn't inferior to anyone. She puts together a business plan, buys a field, builds a vineyard, and makes income for her family. Others look at this passage we're talking about, 1 Timothy 2, 12, 13, 14, 15, and they say that somehow they overstate the case. Then if this passage is true, women aren't allowed to minister in the church. But again, it's an overstatement. It's an oversimplification. It's not being honest with the text. If you look at Titus 2, verses 2 through 5, Titus 2 is a pastoral epistle. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are all pastoral epistles. We see that women are to be involved in ministry. What does the text say? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith in love and steadfastness, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. There's witness there, right? Again, this is a pastoral epistle. Furthermore, in 1 Timothy 5 9 through 12 uh, that is the passage that talks about benevolence policy for the church and it talks about a widow has to be somebody who ministered in the church to be eligible for the financial aid if you want to put it that way she had to be she had to been involved in ministry to the saints and so let's not have any of the nonsense that this passage, if you believe this passage, that you believe that women can't minister in the church, it's just not true. No one has ever made such a case. No evangelical has made such a case. Some look at this passage and say, well, that means women can't teach at all. But that's not what the passages are saying here. It's not what 1 Timothy two eleven through 15 says. Because you have this Titus 2 passage that we just talked about. They're to teach the younger women. They're teaching in fact, the Bible makes the case from Old Testament to New about women being involved in ministry and teaching both inside the church and outside the church. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, also in Proverbs 6, we have the exhortation to the son not to ignore his mother's teaching. Let me read that for you. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9, from the beginning of Proverbs. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Here we see the Bible has a high view with regard to women, with regard to mothers, with regard to their ability to teach in the proper circumstance and situation and context. God has afforded them a vital teaching role in the life of the people of God. Another misconception about our passage today comes from 1 Timothy 2.15. Some... Uh, Some translations say that the woman will be saved through childbearing. And people try to disqualify the whole passage and go, look, you can't take this seriously because it's saying that you have to be pregnant in order to be saved. But you know what? The truth is this passage doesn't teach salvation by pregnancy. It's not the keep them barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen passage that some people try to make it out to be. If you know anything about the culture of the day, Common sense would tell you that no one is going to suggest to a woman that she's going to be saved by childbirth. Why is that? Because in that Greco-Roman era, one-third of all births ended in the death of the mother. And so trying to sell that one in Ephesus or anywhere else in the Roman Empire would be a tough sell. Besides that, Paul never teaches anything like that anywhere in his letters. You won't find anything like that anywhere in the New Testament. Now some people say that this means that women will be saved through the childbirth because in the Greek there's the definite article the there, the childbirth. And they say that refers to the coming of Christ through the birth of the Savior who came through the woman born of a virgin. That position is a minority position because it It kind of doesn't fit in with the context so much there because this is sort of after the childbirth. Now, others say that 1 Timothy 2.15 is a rebuttal of the culture of Ephesus. Remember, that's where the temple of Artemis was, the temple of Diana. And you had the vestal virgins who were no longer going to marry. You had the temple prostitutes who were going to function outside of marriage. Uh, and so this was what was a rebuttal of that kind of thinking, that marriage and the home and the family was a good thing, not a bad thing. Also in that era was something uh, of Gnosticism. It was an incipient Gnosticism that taught that sex was evil and that childbirth was not good. And uh, Paul is saying just the opposite here, that everything that God has given to the woman is good. But the passage is not saying that men and women are not equal in nature and essence. The passage here in 1 Timothy 1, uh, excuse me, 2, 11 through 15 is a passage that kind of lays out the roles and goals of men and women in the church and how they might differ, how they do differ. It's talking about church matters and ministry by the book. So let's be honest about what it is saying and what it isn't saying. And to be clear, Let's move on to our second point, what the passage is saying, what these words are saying. And I want to focus on uh, two verses initially, and that is 1 Timothy 2.12 and 13. I'm going to give you two different readings from two different translations. First in the ESV, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was created first and then Eve. In the New American Standard it comes across this way. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now when you zoom back from this passage call it a 30,000 foot view from altitude what you do see here is this is that there is some differentiation between the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the church. Now, people get pretty worked up over this. It seems that God is prescribing something different for men and different for women. And when people read this, some are embarrassed as Christians. Others accept it as God's will from God's word and they move on. Others are outraged by it. And others either seek a way out of this stricture or around it. The peculiar thing is this, is they then they go right from here into chapter three, the discussion of elders, and they joyfully and willfully, at least some do, accept the role differentiation here. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter three, verses one and two and verse 12. What do we see here? It says this, beginning in verse one, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's elder, He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Moving on to verse 12. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their own children and household well. We see the same thing in Titus 1 for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint every in every town elders as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, he must hold firm he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. These are limiting prescriptions here these are designer specifications for the church of the living God these are boundaries determined and set by God according to his will expressed very clearly in his word and what we begin to see here is that there are roles limited here some for men some for women and there's no way around it when you look at the qualifications for an elder an elder has to be the husband of one wife that would limit it to a man it's a role for men only and the elders are the primary teachers in the church. We see that the elders are able to teach, able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, It is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening.